With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Episode 295 of the Mason Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Mason Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore. Thank you for joining us this week. We are graced by the presence of Chris McShane, who hasn't been on the show in quite some time, and uh, it's great to have Chris back. Chris and I talk about David Wright, and uh, I guess about David Wright. <laughs> no, there are other things too, but uh, yeah, I, I think that the, uh, the David Wright conversations are going to continue for the next few weeks. So, strapping folks, and here we go. Well, welcome back, Chris. Nice to have you back on the show. Thank you. In a bit, um, I you know we got a lot to talk about, but let's let's just start with a, a pretty uh, a pretty simple question for you, my friend. Sure. If you had to put the odds, well, let's let's set the line at thirty. Okay. Will David Wright get thirty at bats in the majors this year? Yes or no? Uh, I will say yes, and I feel like. I should have taken notes, uh, not necessarily in the context of the podcast or the site, but just conversationally with Mets fans over the the last couple of years. I should have taken notes on some bets that uh, you know that I, I bet that he would return at all. Right. 
So I feel like I've got some beers that I need to cash in on. I just don't know who owes them to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it hasn't happened yet, but it sure seems like he's going to return. Uh, you know, even if it's very brief, it seems like he will be back on a major league field. Yeah, I, uh, Allison and I talked a lot about this last week on the show, but I, I think that we're gonna see. I think we're gonna have to see Wright start four or five games at City Field down the stretch. That just seems like the Mets are going to want to to get him out there as often as they can. And I think that he might even be... See, part of... If, if he didn't have the debilitating back injury and he was just washed up in a different way, I would say they're going to like make him pinch hit every game just so that people... When they come to the ballpark this, at the end of the season, they'll see David Wright. Um, but I don't know if he's able to do that with his current back situation. Right. Uh, so it's going to be tricky trying to get out to City Field specifically to see David Wright. I wonder how how far in advance they're going to post that schedule and if he's going to be able to keep a schedule if they do have something like that. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's... Uh... I guess in a way for them, it kind of, you know, it might be good. Ideally, you want people to not be disappointed, but you might create this sort of general, hey, I got to try to see David Wright, Wright, you know, and Saturday looks good for me. So I'm going to go and I I understand that it's like a 50% chance, but I remember uh, going to a Yankee game. In the last, uh, the last game of the season of Don Mattingly's last season as a Yankee. And by this point, his back was also destroyed by spinal stenosis. And he was the on deck, on deck batter when someone struck out to end the game. Ah, uh, yeah. And it just felt so anticlimactic. And uh, yeah. maybe it was the season, maybe, maybe he played a couple of games the next season. I can't recall exactly, but I just remember it was like, it was at the tail end of his career. And everybody was there just to to see Donnie baseball one more time, you know, and it, it didn't work out. And I just hope that the Mets have the foresight to, if if Wright is healthy, to let him play as much as he can. Yeah. To give the fans that. Right. And to give yeah, him yeah that. absolutely. To hit, you know, he, he's been, he's worked far harder than most people in his position would have worked to get back. Oh, for sure. So he de- he deserves um, this too. And I'd like to think that even people who have been, and, and I think sometimes we might pay a little bit too much attention to a very vocal minority of Mets fans. You know, it's when you go to a game and you're sitting in a section that has a couple hundred, a few hundred people in it, and there's one loud guy who's yelling at him to retire. Um, you know that it, it might come off as an overrepresentation of the percentage of Mets fans that have, have had that sort of anger right, toward right. him. Um, of course, I say this and I've gone to like a record low number of games this year and David Wright hasn't been, you know, even in the ballpark for probably most or all the games I've been to. Um, you know, so maybe it's going on in a way you know that, that I'm just not seeing. But my point is, even the people who have been expressing that anger and you know yelling bad things at him who i judge immediately when they say these things i'd like to think that even they 
could look at it, uh, you know, this September as, hey, you know, this sucks. It's sad that, you know, the last couple, two, three years really have gone the way they have. But you are the best position player who's ever played for this team. And you were met throughout your career. You know, I mean, we know now that David Wright will never play for another team. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I'd like to think that, you know, if there's some kind of event, especially if he makes it back and he plays, you know, let's say he comes back on the seventh, which I think is the expectation now for everybody. Um, you know, say he comes back and plays two games, a couple days off, two more games, a couple days off and, and he gets into a spot. If he decides, you know what, this is I accomplished this. I gave him my best shot, and you know where I'm at right now. I'm I'm going to say this season is it. If that happens, that last game at City Field should be just a three three and a half four hour long tribute to David Wright. Um, with I would hope a, a packed ballpark and a very loud, you know, crowd throughout. Yeah. They would probably um, – the classy thing to do is what uh, Willie Randolph did for Piazza, which if you recall, he um, he sent him out there in the top of the inning and then before the first batter pulled him out. And so he so he was, so, oh, yeah, so he yeah, was yeah. on the field and able to acknowledge the fans, you know, as they cheered him off. And so yeah. you would hope that they would do something similar for Wright. Um, I think I asked this question of Allison, but I'll ask it of you as well. Is Wright going to be the first number they retire that isn't a Hall of Famer? Um, it should be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no. Well, I guess the short answer is yes. I'm just going to in, in the fantasy land. I'm going to hold out hope that the Hall of Fame starts saying, hey, guys who had terrible injuries that ended their careers early but were Hall of Fame worthy until that point, maybe we'll put them in. <laughs> but barring a philosophy change on that subject, then, yeah, he nobody can wear number five again. Like, no, no way. They they have to do it. They're dense. They're so dense. But, uh, and especially when it comes to their own history and celebrating, like, it's it's weird to me that um like I don't know how to put this. I guess the Yankees have had so much history of you know winning championships, being competitive even when they don't win them. Uh, it would almost be easy to get kind of lost in that, and you know not necessarily take it for granted, but they hammer on it a lot. So. Uh, to contrast, you know, the Mets don't have that many iconic teams. So it seems to me it should be really easy to celebrate the ones they have. Right. Uh, teams, and they've had more great players than great seasons, of course. Right. Uh, but, yeah, it, it doesn't seem that hard to get it right. And uh, What's insane to me is, like, like you said, so the Yankees are at a place where sooner than later – they're going to run out of numbers because they've retired <laughs> yeah. so many, right? <laughs> the Mets are in no such danger. But you'd think that they've made it to the World Series now, is it five times? 
69, yeah, 69, 73, 73 86, 2000, 2000, and then 15. Uh, you'd yep. think just if you retire one player who's not Seaver or Piazza from each of those five championship teams while they're still alive, what's the harm in that? Right. Like, honestly, you don't think that uh, the Jerry Kuzman did enough as a Met to have his number retired? You don't think, yeah, you don't no, think that the Keith Hernandez did enough as a Met to have his number retired? Right. Yeah, come on. <laughs> it's it's just insane to me. And David Wright should be that 2015 player. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no question. Even if you want to go back and, and say that the 06 team... You know, should, because what's going to happen here, and this is classic Mets, and I definitely talked about this in the podcast before, so I'm sorry, devoted listeners. What's going to happen is they're not going to retire Wright's number, and then Beltran's going to go in as a Met, and they're going to have to retire Beltran's number before Wright's number, and everyone's fucking head will explode. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. <laughs> uh. The Mets. Yeah. I'd like to be proven wrong. Yes. But they'll find a way to mess it up. Of course they will. Um, so even though we might see David Wright in September, we're not going to be seeing Peter Alonso, uh, who was announced yesterday, I believe, that the Mets said they will not be calling him up uh, in September. Now, yep. now... If I squint (laughs) hard enough, I kind of can understand why this is happening. You have enough guys on that team who can play first base, comma, should play first base, comma, should only play first base. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I understand that between Wilmer Flores and Jay Bruce and Dom Smith and maybe David Wright, and possibly Todd Frazier if David Wright's playing third base. Like, there are plenty of people whose who first base is their optimal position right now. But, of all those people I just mentioned, the only person who I think has a legitimate chance of being the everyday first baseman in 2020 or 2021 is Pete Alonso. So wouldn't you want to get a look at him in the majors now and see how he's how he handles himself? Doesn't that seem to make logical sense? Yeah, uh, the combination of getting that assessment and also just getting those, you know, first a hundred, maybe not even given the you know state of the roster, maybe not even a hundred, but whatever, hundred ish plate appearances out of the way. Yeah, you know, um, I don't think anybody other than some people in the Mets front office think that the Mets are going to be good in 2019. But if you think they are going to be good in 2019, you know, why do you want to find out in the middle of April or May, depending on which service time manipulation they decide to go with? Um, you know, why do you want to find out then if Alonzo could be your guy uh, at first base, you know? Yeah. Because with Cespit is out and this team being highly unlikely to spend a lot of money. Uh, and it, honestly, even if they do spend a lot of money, I think the odds are pretty high that they could go into the start of the season saying, you know, the starting outfield is Conforto, Nimmo, and Bruce. And 
you know, defense hasn't really been a priority. And given the state of the roster, you know, it, it, they could roll in and put those three in the outfield and have Alonzo at first. And there's at least a not too crazy scenario or, or outcome where, uh, you know, the offense is, is really good uh from those positions but yeah i I don't i don't get it It, you know a team that needs young players to contribute in a major way can't really afford to worry about you know service time down the road um in alonzo's case it's, it's not even really a huge issue uh with that if you do it now i'd much rather you know, have him practice against the the best level of uh, competition there is because that's what the rest of the season is for everybody. It's practice. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, it just they can spoil some playoff hopes for other teams, and I appreciate that. And there are definitely some games that I want them to win for that reason. But you know, it, this is practice and evaluation and you know jason vargas probably being amazing for september so they hold on to him tight for next year yeah again tune into last week's show for a discussion of all things vargi um yes yeah you know it's (laughs) it's this is this is my big problem that i i just don't understand why you wouldn't treat the rest of this season as purely uh, scientific, you know, even someone like David Wright. Look, if Wright comes back, I I am firmly of the belief that Wright's going to retire at the end of this season. Firmly of that belief. But if he comes back and he gets into a routine, and you find out that Wright could be a two day a week starter or a, a a decent bench piece, that's good information to have. Yeah. There, there's no downside to just trying everything right now. And that's the only reason I'm not really pissed at the we want Bruce to play more first base conversation. Because if there's ever a time to see if Bruce can do that, now is the time. I get that. Yeah. I think it's a dumb idea at this point because I think that just having Bruce on the team is a dumb idea. But he's a sunk cost and they're never going to move on from it even though they should. Um Right. So, yeah, man, I just don't know. I just don't know what they're doing. I don't know why Alonso is not up. I don't know why uh, Reyes is still getting starts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah, there's so much to to not know. I mean, isn't there always with this team? Yeah. That is certainly the truth. Um. So I, I kind of asked Jack this a few weeks ago. I kind of asked Allison this. I'll ask this to you now. Aside from just giving players some shots this September, is there anything you're hoping to see this September? Is there anything that, that, that stands out to you as a as a, a positive for the rest of the season? Uh, DeGrom locking down the Cy Young. Uh, Wheeler sort of just continuing in this excellent groove that he's been in uh you know to use one of sandy alderson's uh favorite phrases when he would speak things of that nature mm-hmm. <laughs> you know but really solidifying I, 
I don't think there's necessarily a major freakout going on with Syndergaard, but there's a little bit of this of like, oh, is he actually good anymore or whatever. You know, hints of uh, apprehension or skepticism, I guess, is how I would phrase it with him. Uh, I'd like to see him kick ass and, you know, just have those three finish out the season strong. And, you know, the, the new GM is going to have to make decisions about things. But one way they could signal that they mean business is by, you know, extending at least two or maybe all three of those pitchers and, and you know, guaranteeing that that's the foundation they have. Um, you know, there's some risk, of course, with anybody who you do that with. Uh, but strong performances from those three could go a long way toward making it seem like the 2019, I almost just said a year that was like seven years ago. <laughs> the 2019 rotation could be, uh, you know, good. Yeah. I'll, I'll... So, so that, that's it. I have no hope for the bullpen. I, you know, I, like there are plenty of people who I can root for, but there's nobody out that, you know, Lugo has been great. Cause has been good, but of all the other arms of like, Oh, maybe this guy could work. I guess Drew Smith has put up some good numbers. But, I would say S- you know, Smith and Bachelor are the two that who have like your interest. Yeah, th- those those are guys that I'll pay attention to down the stretch. I think maybe could have a role in the bullpen next year. Almost everybody else, unfortunately, has not really done that. Yeah. Um, I I will add in things I want to see for the rest of the season. Uh, obviously, you want to see guys like Conforto and Nimmo keep up their their, their good seasons. Just just to give them the confidence they need because the Mets are obviously a much better team with them than without them. So you want those guys to be as good as possible and to have all the confidences that, that the Mets won't fuck them up, you know? Uh, I don't want anyone talking about why Bruce should be playing over either of those guys at all next season. And so yeah. give them the, the proper number of at-bats to prove once and for all that they need to be starting every single day. Yeah. And then my, my last uh, sort of hope, as I know one you share as well, is that Ahmed Rosario keeps up his his hot streak he is going right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's that's for sure. Uh, and McNeil, too. Oh, yeah, you know, but, but, yeah, Rosario in particular has finally, you know, looked like him – well, himself isn't exactly what I meant, but, you know, the the kind of hitter people thought he might be able to be. Uh, you know, it's important to remember he's still only 22. You know, not everybody comes up at 19 and kills it like Juan Soto. Right. You yeah. Know? yeah, I feel like uh, the Mets very quietly could have an infield of... Todd Frazier and three young guys next year, all of whom are reasonably impressive. And that's not something I think any of us really expected at the start of... I think all of us expected by this point Dom Smith would be the starting first baseman, and we would have to lament that in our own ways. Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny to think about it, and and I'm not saying this is like a, a, you know, World Series favorite type of uh, you know, roster, but you just look at the guys who might reasonably be pretty good 
And, you know, hey, if if you had Alonzo McNeil, Rosario, Frazier, and Frazier's been a little disappointing, but not, like, way out of whack with the kind of hitter that he usually right. is. Uh, but, all right, you got those four guys. You got Conforto, Nimmo, Ligaris, and Bruce. Um, you know, there are flaws. So I'm not I'm not saying it's amazing, but you, you look at that and you go, hmm. You know, uh, on an everyday basis, maybe we we have position players everywhere who we're comfortable with. And uh, you know, if you can add somebody of a much greater magnitude like a Machado, and and you're willing to do that, then sure, let's have that conversation. But in a world where we don't expect the Mets to do anything even close to that, uh, you know. There's there's a potential to have decent players, at least, at, at all of those positions. Um, yeah. You know, and I know this is like a rosy outlook, but if you have that, then you can hopefully focus on the rest of the rotation. Um, you know, solidifying that, maybe finding a, a really good option, a catcher to, to work with, uh, I'd say, Ploiecki at this point. Um, yeah. Somebody pointed out, by yeah. the way, that if uh, if Frazier were to get hurt next year for for a small period of time, you could theoretically have a starting nine on the Mets that all came through their farm system with an outfield of Nimmo Ligares and Conforto, Guillaume, Rosario, McNeil, and Alonso, and Pilecki behind the plate. Yeah, yeah, Guillaume or, you know, if Andres Jimenez... Right, yeah starts to push his way up um he'd be another option to, to fill that in but yeah you know that, that that's definitely possible whether or not that's the best thing i don't know right yeah, yeah. i have no idea at but this it's point. it's cool when it happens you know it's one of those like novelty things in baseball that um you know if things are going really well you can be proud of it and even if not like hey this is kind of cool uh but yeah it, it, there's there's plenty of need to go around. So, you know, if, if you feel good about Nimmo, Conforto, Rosario, McNeil, and if they were just willing to give Alonzo a spot on the 40, it, it, to, like just to touch on that again, the, the most frustrating thing is that I know that they have to protect guys in the Rule 5 in the winter, and, and you know, they've got several 60-day DL guys who have to count against the 40 in the winter. So I, I know in their mind... There's like a squeeze coming, but there's just so many guys on the 40 right now who you could DFA. Without any consequence whatsoever. Right. So, yeah, I, I just don't, I don't get it. I mean, what's, that should be the name of the podcast. And <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> hey, what's there to get? You know, it's just, Okay, so let's. We haven't. You and I have not talked since Dom Smith in left field uh, cost Degrom that game. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do, that, that was a thing. Yeah, it, it was. Do you think that there's <laughs> any space for Dom Smith on the Mets long term at this point? Uh, based on everything that has played out with him, no. Because I don't think they're going to give him any real shot, and I don't I don't know that he would succeed with a real shot. But I don't even think they're going to give him one. 
and he's not an outfielder. You know, I mean, how many times? How many times can one franchise put guys in the outfield and, and set them up to fail? <laughs> Are you counting the rumors of them wanting to play uh, Rosario in center field next spring? Sure, yeah, we can throw that in there. We might as well, right? If we're, um, if we're making a list here. Yeah, I mean, and look, I'm not, I'm not here to defend Jose Reyes at this point, but like, why was he in the outfield? And then, you know, the more infamous examples going back that everybody knows: Todd Hundley, Lucas Duda, Daniel Murphy. You know, like, you would think there would be some institutional uh, acknowledgement that, hey. You know, outfield might seem easy, but it might not be easy for everybody. <laughs> and, and what's especially frustrating is, you know, right now, is that they have enough outfielders. <laughs> they have too many right. outfielders. It's right. Even and worse. It's the only. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I just don't see, um, you know, I. I could live with Alonzo not getting called up a lot more if they said we're giving Dom Smith the job uh, every day in September because, you know, rather than like kind of putting little digs at Alonzo's defense out there and, you know, whatever else, uh, whatever, whatever else they want to kind of generate in terms of doubt. Uh, and again, this is just the team has terrible messaging you know, make the baseball decision that you want Dom Smith to get a look for all of September and then say, hey, we're not calling up Peter Alonso because we really want Dom to get these, you know, these games in. Uh, we need to find out, you know, what we have in him. And, you know, if we call up Alonso, he's going to get a few pinch hitting appearances here and there. And, you know, that might not make Alonso any happier, but... It's it's something people could at least go, okay, fine. You know, uh, the, I can live with that because that's a better baseball reason than the one that you're giving right, me. Right. You, you know, that the Wilmer Flores and Jay Bruce and, you know, whoever uh, are, are all in the mix and there's just not going to be enough playing time. So, <sighs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> it's getting to the point where there's almost no logic to their decisions whatsoever. There used to be a false logic to a lot of Mets decisions, where you, you sure, can yeah. poke holes in them. But at this point, there there are enough there are enough things that are happening that you just feel like, oh, they have no fucking plan whatsoever here. This is uh, <laughs> this is completely inept from every perspective. Um, I just don't know. I, I just don't know what... It's not good to be in the position the Mets are in right now and have no plan for September. Yeah. And yeah, and and, and with the, the messaging, the David Wright thing, too, the, you know, the things that the team has said, like, just the weird way that they handled, you know, the... the um, and they might not have even been trying to say something to, like, knock him down a peg. But, you know, to come out and, and say something about, uh, you know, the, the, not being ready, we don't think he's ready, that kind of, whatever that was, and then, 
you know, shortly after that, then it's, uh, you know, a couple of reporters are saying things about the insurance and, you know, you had uh, Mike Puma saying that he was getting a sense that it was, you know, really about insurance money and not wanting to pay David Wright. And, you know, David Lennon uh, had tweeted, you know, by our calculations, you know, at Newsday, uh, it would cost the Mets this if he plays, and you know that this is what they'd say if he doesn't. And then, you know, all of a sudden, it, it, this is all out there, and it's like, oh, well, that's not. Everybody thinks this all sounds terrible. So then it's like, oh, uh, you know, David Wright will make that decision or whatever. You, you know, it's it, just the way it kind of morphed. It, well, you know. It has to morph because they're so bad at this. Because because yeah. they can't come up with one satisfactory answer. So they have to come up with five of them. And depending what who you get on which day, you get which answer. Right. But yeah, so... You know, I was just thinking about it, and it was like... With the entire situation, rather than having... Sort of all this doubt lingering... Uh, about everything that involves right. You know, from the get-go they should have just been transparent you know this is this is his contract um excuse me this is his contract this is the percentage uh, not even the percentage this is the amount he's owed this amount of money uh if he doesn't play at all this is what insurance covers and we you know we want you to know that uh it, it it breaks our heart that david wright isn't on the field because just like mets fans that's where we want to see him uh, and in his absence, we're going to do everything we can to make this a competitive team. And, like, I just thought of that. Off the top of your head. You know, <laughs> right. It, it, earlier today, uh, talking to a friend who's a Mets fan, I came up with that as, like, a quote. And, you know, that it's better. And I know that convincing ownership to be transparent about the money is probably the biggest hurdle there. But... Like, it got out anyway. Everybody knows basically what the math is. So it, just say it. Just say it. those Those are like three sentences, and you put yourself in a much better spot that you don't come off as, you know, not being sympathetic or not knowing, you know, what what's going on. It just seems to me like for a player that has made them probably more money in jerseys and insert memorabilia sales here, you know, than any other player in their modern history, wouldn't you just eat the fucking insurance money? Come on. You would hope. I guess let's just briefly touch on Zach Wheeler because we were talking before the show about how we haven't talked about Wheeler in a little bit. Uh, Wheeler looks like he's legit right now. That's all. Yeah, that's all I can really. That's the only way I can say it. He just looks. He looks more legit than he's looked uh, ever. Yep. At this point, this is the longest sustained success he's had in. Gosh, how many years? I mean, it was twenty fourteen. You know, when he when he kind of had that really good run, and then he got hurt. And then he missed 15 and 16, and 17 was weird. So, yeah, it's been a long time. Um, 
And this is better than he ever looked during that stretch. Yeah, I I know we had sort of hemmed and hawed about that earlier in the season. You know, is this better than his 2014 season? I think now we can definitively say yes. Yeah, 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 for sure. So he's he's got the start uh, on Friday night at the San Francisco, uh, which is, you know, the last day of August. So what he does there will determine his ERA for the month. But going into it, he has a 1.09 ERA in August. Um, and he's gone seven innings, four out of five starts. And he hasn't given up more than two runs. He And he only did that once uh, in, in any of those starts. So this is a guy who's firing all cylinders. Um, you know, I, I think I had looked at him before – the starting as the nationals uh, and just what he had been doing lately, you know, and he's been like, I, it, it's been a thing this year, checking in on what he's doing, what he's doing differently. Um, and yeah, he's, he's sort of, you know, he, he plateaued with velocity, which was inevitable because he was just throwing harder and harder and harder. And at some point that stops, but uh, you know, but he's still throwing, as hard as he ever has, uh, when you when you look at the average numbers, he uh, sort of was mixing things up uh, slightly. Uh, you know, he's been throwing that splitter that he developed earlier this season, um, kind of gotten away from throwing a changeup. You know, the pitch tracking stuff. Uh, and I, I didn't look at the most recent start, but the four previous starts, pitch tracking systems classified that uh, you know he didn't even throw the changeup at all. Um, so, you know, it's a pitcher who seems to be still improving. I mean, he had at the end of June, he had a 4.47 ERA and right now he has a 3.46. And if you do that in April, you can make a swing like that in a start. Right. But when, you know, when you're farther into a season, it's hard to cut a run off your ERA uh, or, or more than a run by one hundredth of a <laughs> of an ERA, uh, but you know, uh, it, it just seems like physically his body was finally giving him its best possible performance, um, and, and you know he's he's really run with it, and it, it's exciting to see. You know, I, and I, I'm somebody who in, you know, mid-July, I was like, I, I don't know if I buy this. And I and I still don't know, you know, how much you can count on to make 30 starts <clears throat> in a given year. But, uh, yeah, I, I went from trade him while his value is sky high to hold on. Yeah. <laughs> if he's this good, uh, don't trade him at all. You know, he's going to make nothing next year. And, you know, if you're a team that's willing to pay good players, you can use that, you know, sort of leverage. Um, and I, I always root for the player. But from the team's perspective, you know, Wheeler in arbitration is not going to make a ton of money next year. Uh, even if you try to get him to sign an extension, you don't want to put too much risk into it. Some of the incentive for him could be, you know, we're gonna we're gonna pay you closer to the market rate next year, and then guarantee, you know, two or three more years after that, whatever you want it, you know, to be, and then you're not taking that much of a risk, and he's getting to a spot where you know, 
Um, I don't think anybody's crying the blues for any salary. <coughs> Excuse me. But, you know, you you have somebody who has been on the same team as Matt Harvey and saw everything that he's gone through. Uh, you know, maybe Harvey eventually refines himself. Uh, but, you know, this is somebody who's been a teammate of a guy who may never get a big payday. Yeah. So... I don't know. It's a unique position for everybody to be in here. Uh, but, you know, I mean, maybe a new GM blows it all up and trades all of these, you know, three pitchers. But right now, uh, I'm, I'm as high as I've ever been on Zach Wheeler. So that's a nice feeling. Yeah, I, I don't think I disagree with anything you said there. Um, it certainly makes me feel better about next season. Because it seems like there's a uh, there's at least three starting pitchers that we can feel somewhat confident in, and by that of course I mean Wheeler, Degrom, and Vargas. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy, Vargas. What? Yeah. Could you have picked a worse time to have like three good starts? Yeah. Exactly. Could you, couldn't you have done that in April and then fallen apart? We would have all liked that sequence a lot yeah, couldn't more. Couldn't he have done it like the last start in June and his first two starts in July? Right. Come on now. Oh, boy, Vargas. Um, any other Mets-related uh, ephemera you want to get to? Uh, no, nothing specific. Other, you know, we're just reminding everybody that we uh, we are going to try to do an in-person, you know, everybody go to a game kind of thing. Uh, and stay tuned, you know, next week-ish because we were looking at late September. So hopefully we can just nail down a game and do the kind of thing that we've done in the past. You know, get yourself into the ballpark on the cheapest ticket you can find and then we'll pick a section and go to the standing room behind it. I believe... There's a promotion running right now for 25 bucks. You get a uh, a standing room ticket, a Shake Shack single burger, and a shake. Yeah, I was trying to figure out whether or not that's a good deal. Yeah, I couldn't figure it out either. Compared to StubHub, I, the only thing is I don't know what the shake costs. That's an excellent question. I mean, they're not. Well, okay. They're not. They're aware that StubHub exists, and they know what their concessions prices are, right? right? So I think a six dollar ticket on StubHub is ten with fees. I know the single shack is like seven. So if the shake is eight dollars, you're breaking even. If it's less than eight dollars, then go the StubHub route and just buy the stuff yourself. And if it's more than eight dollars, then you're actually getting a slight deal from the Mets. Who'd have thunk that? A yeah. Deal from the Mets. <laughs> but I don't know. I have no idea what a shake costs because you know. I, I'm there to watch baseball and not take a nap. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I refuse to wait for Shake Shack. I've never had Shake Shack in City Field. Oh wow! Oh, you got to get like a cheap Delta Club seat one night when it's you know mediocre weather and the season is lost, or maybe just any game now the rest of the season <laughs> where they deliver it to you. Uh, that that that's the best of both worlds. I mean, I guess I, I, I guess I'm that guy. I, Shake Shack burgers are good. I don't think Shake Shack burgers are the most wonderful things I've ever tasted in my life. 
And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with getting it when I'm someplace that has a Shake Shack. I don't need to get it, uh, at City Field. Yeah. Come at me, Burger Bros. Well, you pitched the Shake Shack ticket. I did. Uh, <laughs> I was trying to entice our listeners to come out, not, uh, oh, yeah, not yeah, myself. Yeah. Yes. I, I don't, I don't need a reason to go to a Mets game. Yeah, no, that's well, that's true. I would think I'd like to think that we are the reason to go to the Mets game. <laughs> oh, Chris, uh, sweet naive innocent Chris. <laughs> sometimes, <Yeah. laughs> no, it's uh, yeah, we we should pick a game soon. But let's let's all hope that if, that if we do pick a game, we pick a game David Wright plays. Yes, absolutely. Hey everybody, this is Steve Seiper, and I'm back to go for our minor league players of the week for week number 20 now. And I'm just going to quickly gloss over how the minor league affiliates did, because the season is pretty much over for most of them, and for a couple of them it actually is over. And I'll go into more detail about how they did at a later date, but basically Las Vegas out, Binghamton out, St. Lucie out, Columbia out, Brooklyn is in, Kingsport is in. And GCL is out. So our pitcher of the week for this week is Brooklyn Cyclones right-hander Christian James. He pitched one game this week, and he went eight innings, allowing no runs on just two hits. He did not walk anybody, and he struck out four. So basically, in 2016, the Mets drafted and successfully signed five high school pitchers. Is Cameron Plank within the 10th round. Matt Cleveland in the 11th round, Christian James in the 14th round, Dariel Rivera in the 24th round, Eric Villanueva in the 30th round, and Garrison Bryant in the 36th round. Of all five of those guys, Christian James has had the best career by far. Uh, After being drafted, he was drafted out of East Lake High School in Florida. He tossed a couple of innings with the GCL Mets, and he posted a 0.52 ERA, allowing 11 hits, walking 5, and striking at 14. And he was assigned to Kingsport last season, and he had a solid year by any measure of the stick. He made 11 starts, and in them he posted a 4.18 ERA in 52.1 innings, allowing 54 hits, walking 16, and striking out 58. Now, because of his profile as a pitcher... And then the stats that he posted with Kingsport last year, we at Amazing Avenue named him the Mets' 20th top prospect. So James started the 2018 season at the end of May. He actually got a spot star for the Binghamton Rumble Ponies, and he did pretty well. Um, he gave up a run over four innings. And then a week later, he made another spot start, this time for St. Lucie. And again, he pitched well. He gave up an unearned run over five innings. And then a few weeks later, he was named the opening day starter for the Brooklyn Cyclones. And through 12 starts now with Brooklyn, he has a 1.76 ERA in 66.2 innings, allowing 55 hits, walking 17, and striking out 40. Now, that ERA is actually second in the New York Penn League among qualified starters. Only his teammate Jason Valera has a lower ERA. His FIP, fielding independent pitching, is a bit higher um it's currently 4.05 
Now, the main reason why there's such a huge difference between ERA and FIP is basically James's strikeout rate. Uh, he has a 15% strikeout rate this season, which comes out to a 5.4 strikeouts per nine innings. Now, in roughly the same amount of time that he spent in Kingsport, he struck out 58 batters in 51.2 innings, which comes out to a 25.7 strikeout percentage, or 10.1 strikeouts per nine innings. His walk rate and his home run rate are roughly the same, and it's really only the strikeouts that have dropped. And having seen James pitch this season, the drop in the strikeout rate is definitely tied to a pitching repertoire that's less than advertised and definitely diminished in quality as compared to what it was. At the time when he was drafted, uh, James had a fastball that sat in the high 80s to low 90s and topped out as high as 94. He had a loopy curveball in the high 60s. A sharper slider that was thrown in the high 70s. And a changeup. Now, having seen James pitch multiple times, and I'm talking like five <laughs> this season, spread out over starts in June and July, basically his fastball is nothing like the one that he had when he was first drafted. In all those starts, it basically sat 88 to 90, and it touched 91 maybe a handful of times. The rest of the repertoire that he was using was more or less true to that information that I researched. Um, slider was 78 to 81, and definitely the best secondary that he threw. Um, he used it mostly against right-handers, down and away to get him fishing. His curveball was about 80 to 82, and it was really kind of a get-me-over-pitch with just very, very light 12 to 6 break. And then his changeup was 83 to 85 and had slight arm side fade. But that fastball really was very, very different from the one that he had when he was drafted. And in addition to um, having a lesser fastball, his command of the pitches just really hasn't been that great, be it intentional or unintentional. Um, he throws too many unnecessary pitches. Basically, he nibbles around the strike zone, and he rarely challenges hitters. And in addition to that, as is the case with many pitches of his age, he kind of is reluctant to throw inside. And sometimes he it seems like he almost pitches exclusively to the outer half of the plate. And that kind of stuff basically drives up his pitch count. And then when the pitch count is high, it limits his innings. And he basically has to be taken out of games, even when he is performing well. Now, the cause of his vanishing fastball is something that I really haven't been able to pinpoint. Uh, the right-hander, he did put on weight between 2017 and this year. He basically went from 195 to 210, so that's 15 pounds. And while 15 pounds really isn't necessarily anything major, he didn't put on good weight. Um, it's mainly kind of concentrated in his midsection. I'm not saying he's fat. He's a little pudgy, maybe. You know, I am too. We all are at different times, but... I'm not an athlete who's performing on one of the hardest places to perform. So, basically, James's future value is going to really hinge on him recapturing that fastball velocity, honing his slider, which is his best secondary, and just working on his commands and improving that. Now, our hitter of the week for this week is Kingsport center fielder 
Jared Kelenic. He played in seven games this week, and he hit 500, 567, 808, with 13 hits, two doubles, two home runs, two walks, six strikeouts, and three out of three stolen bases. So Kelenic is heating up at the right time, definitely, because coming into the week, the Kings War Mets were basically in a virtual tie with the Bristol Pirates for the wildcard spot, and then Kingsport swept the Pirates and gained a whole bunch of games on them. And Kalanick was a huge reason why. Uh, in those games against Bristol, in those three games, he went 7 for 11 with a double, two home runs, two hit-by-pitches, five runs scored, and seven runs batted in. And in addition to all that, or maybe because of all that, he was front and center in that drama between the two teams, where he was the guy that got hit after hitting a home run and benches cleared and a couple of managers got ejected. So he said of his hot streak, quote, doing what I've been doing, and uh, excuse me, I've been doing what I've been doing, and that's hit the ball hard, and they're just starting to find spots, which is great. I'm just trying to stick to the same plan, and that's barrel balls and be on time, end quote. Now, I just kind of quickly looked into the data and... He's not kidding. The balls are definitely falling in for hits and finding spots. He had a bat up of 6-1-1 this week, as opposed to the 250 in his prior 35 games with Kingsport. Obviously, a 6-11 bat pip is unsustainably high, but at the same time, a 250 was a bit low for a hitter of his caliber. So, expect, uh, you know, there's not much left in the season now, obviously. But if there was, I think that we might be able to expect a normalization of that. So I made it down, actually, to Pulaski a couple of weeks ago to see Kingsport play, and thankfully, Kalinick was in the lineup, and I would have seen him twice, but I kind of chickened out. <laughs> I didn't want to drive home uh, on I-81 through mountains and stressful driving on highways in the dark with no lights in a place I'm not familiar with, so I left... I left early, and I skipped that second game. But I did get to see him, and he went one for four with a walk, a strikeout, and a stolen base. And the bat looked good. Uh, it's quick, and he gets hard contact. So when he starts learning to lay off stuff that he can't drive, and he starts recognizing off-speed pit, off pitches a little better, he's going to have a pretty potent bat. Between the swing and his natural strength, there's definitely above-average power in there. And while neither the hit tool nor the power tool are, like, off the charts, they do complement each other. And he's probably not going to develop into, like, a batting champion or a home run king or anything like that. But hopefully he should develop into a guy that could post relatively high batting averages with moderate power. Now, the defense was actually a little better than I thought it would be. When he was drafted, there were questions about whether or not he'd be able to stay in the center field. And at the time, I was one of the people that were leaning on the side if he could. And having seen him and having seen him play center, I think barring a lot of bad weight, I see no reason why he won't be able to handle it. He's very athletic, and actually his defense reminded me a bit of Carlos Beltran. A, a bit, a bit, a bit. Obviously, there are very few center fields out there that are like Carlos Beltran. But it was basically like the professionalness and demeanor of him in the outfield is what made me think of Beltran. Every catch he made, it didn't seem like urgent. It, you know, it didn't seem like he had to rush to the ball and get there or just a moment to spare. Uh, all the catches that he made were like nonchalant almost. You know, he read the ball off the bat well. He just kind of glided over. He's He has above average speed, so he's quick. 
and you know he just made the catches with no problem. And then after the game, I find this I found this a little not odd, but it just something that stuck with me. He was definitely um, he definitely getting chewed out by Sean Ratliff, the manager of Kingsport. And he singled in his last at bat. He he drove a, a one and two pitch down the middle into center field. So I'm not exactly sure what the conversation was about. By the time I was able to like you know get kind of close, and this was after the game while everybody was leaving, it had kind of just turned into a, a regular conversation. But Ratliff kind of looked heated. But like I said, I don't know what they were talking about. But I've heard rumblings that Kalenic is kind of a a passionate kid, a fiery kid. So it'll be interesting to see going forward if, you know, there's anything to that. I'm not going to say, you know, if are there behavioral issues or, you know, he does things on the, on the field or in the dugout that gets other teams pissed off at him or, or stuff like that. But, you know, he was just drafted now. So we'll see if, uh, you know, that kind of becomes a thing. Hopefully not. But I do know that this winter it's going to be pretty tough ordering Kalanick, Vientos, and Newton when we start making our top 25 lists. So I am Steve Saipa, and I will be back next week with a very um, sad, I guess, minor league update because the seasons are pretty much over. But until then... Amazing Avenue podcast friends. Um, Allison McCaig here with another um, episode of the Degrometer and the Nemometer, where we track two of our favorite Mets performances this year, Jacob DeGrom and Brandon Nimmo. So we'll start with Jacob DeGrom um, and his quest for the Cy Young. Um, since I last spoke to you guys, he's had two starts. Last Thursday, um, he matched up against the Giants and Madison Bumgarner, which is obviously a tough matchup for anyone. Um, he had, he went six innings. He gave up four hits um, and two runs, but only one of those was earned because he was let down by his defense as usual. Um, uncharacteristically, he walked four batters, um, which is not usual for him. Um, but even though he didn't really have his best command all day, he still struck out ten batters, which is you know a testament to how good he really is, the fact that he didn't really feel his greatest, especially about his fastball, but he still struck out 10 guys. Um, but, you know, against Madison Bumgarner, that wasn't good enough. Bumgarner just outdueled him. Um, he went eight innings and only gave up one run on five hits. Um, so DeGrom got the loss in that start, unfortunately. Um, but his ERA was still fine at that point. Um, it was 1.71. It pretty much stayed the same from the previous start to that one. Um, and then um, DeGrom pitched again on Tuesday against the Cubs. Um, he went eight innings. Uh, he was pushed to 109 pitches, but, you know, he really gutted it out at the end despite giving up a run in the seventh inning. Um, that run was earned, but it was really due to a defensive miscue by Jay Bruce. Um, he let a sharp grounder off the bat of Ben Zobris go, like, right under his glove, um, which sent Kyle Schwarber, who had hit a single to third, and then um, Bodie hit a sacrifice fly, um, and that was the only run. Um, but DeGrom drove in the only run that the Mets scored. Um, so at that point, 
point, it was one-to-one. Um, DeGrom only walked one, one batter, and he struck out 10 again. Um, he was pumping 100 on the gun, which was amazing to watch. But, of course, the Mets couldn't score for him. Uh, he drove in the only run, and the game remained tied after nine innings, um, at which point the rains came, and they had to resume the game the next day, and then the Mets were walked off in the 11th um, the following morning. Afternoon, early afternoon, rather. Um, so... On the season to date, uh, he has thrown 182 innings pitched in 27 starts. He is 8-8, eight and eight, a very unfortunate record for someone as good as him. We all know this. Um, with a 1.68 ERA, um, which leads the league by a pretty significant margin at this point. Um, second place is Aaron Nola with a 2.10, so that leads him by .42. Um, he has a 0.98 whip, which is behind Scherzer's uh, 0.88 whip, um, but right there with Nola. 0.97 whip. Um, his 2.03 FIP leads the three uh, major Cy Young candidates. Um, he leads Nola by a significant margin in that category, leads Nola by almost 0.6, um, and he has a 5.46 sorry, um, strikeout to walk ratio on the season, which is obviously incredible too. Um, as far as WAR is concerned, um, DeGrom is ahead in Fangraph's WAR by a significant margin. He has 7.3 Fangraph's WAR, while um, Scherzer and Nola have 5.8 and 5.7 FWAR, respectively. Um, baseball reference WAR is another story. DeGrom is consistently third there. He consistently seems to lead in uh, FWAR, but trail in BWAR. Um, so, as far as uh, WAR goes in baseball reference for all, um, Nola is the leader at, with 8.9, and Scherzer's right with him at 8.8, and then DeGrom trails a little bit by 8.2. But if you do um, baseball reference WAR for pitchers, which takes into account defensive support and adds value for high leverage situations, Nola gets a huge boost because, like DeGrom, he plays, beh- he plays behind a really crappy defense. So, Nola has 9.2 baseball reference war for pitchers, and then Scherzer and DeGrom trail him by a full win. So Scherzer's at 8, and DeGrom's at 7.9. But keep in mind that DeGrom gets dinged in these uh, war calculations a little bit, especially in B-War for park factors, because City Field has been rated consistently as, like, the best pitcher's park the whole season. Um, But, you know, DeGrom has also performed perfectly admirably on the road, so make of that what you will. Um, I still think, you know... As far as the Cy Young goes, DeGrom is clearly the best pitcher in the National League. He leads in all the major categories. It really just depends on what you favor. Um, If you're talking about ERA, which is really when it comes down to the bare bones of it, the pitcher's job is to not give up runs, and DeGrom's been the best at that period. Um, If you favor more traditional metrics like wins, Scherzer's got the edge, and Scherzer's got the edge, and he strikes out more guys too, um, and he's going to end up with the most innings pitched probably of the three. Um, if you favor, um, if you really favor baseball reference war, that's really the only place Nola has the edge over the other two, but Nola's a legit contender. Um, he's past Scherzer in the ERA race now as well, so they're all three really great pitchers. I still think DeGrom's the best pitcher. He also leads in ERA plus if you favor that metric, so it really depends on what metrics you look at, but ERA, pure and simple, DeGrom's way ahead. 
Um, let's shift gears and talk about Brandon Nimmo. Um, he's back from the disabled list. Um, he came back on Tuesday after missing 12 games with a bruised finger after being hit by that pitch, but luckily nothing was broken um, on the x-ray or the MRI, so he only had to miss 12 games. So he played Tuesday and yesterday, so that's his only stats for this week. Um, for Tuesday's game, which obviously resumed yesterday, um, he had five at-bats over those two days um, and went one for five with a single, and he struck out three times. So unfortunately, it kind of seemed like at that point like, oh no, is he going to go into another slump, another struggle after um, being hit by a pitch again? But encouragingly, um, in the regularly scheduled game yesterday, he fared much better. Um, he had a three-hit day in the Mets' 10-3 to win, and one of those three hits played it a run. So that was good to see. Um, but obviously the whole offense suddenly woke up since DeGrom wasn't pitching. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's encouraging to see that hopefully Brandon Nimmo isn't going to have another slump, um, and he'll keep going right where he left off. So on the season to date, um, Brandon Nimmo's had 423 plate appearances, um, and he's slashing 268, 388, 500 with 15 home runs, 65 runs scored, 40 RBIs, and eight stolen bases. He has a 148 OPS plus, which is third in the entire National League, behind only Matt Carpenter and Eugenio Suarez. Um, OPS plus is adjusted for ballparks, so conversely, Jacob Degrom gets dinged a lot in the adjusted metrics because City Field is a pitcher-friendly park. But this helps out Brandon Nimmo a lot. So his OPS plus is really high up there in the National League. And he's ahead of Freeman. He's ahead of Nolan Arenado. He's a lot of ahead of Baez, a lot of guys that are in, you know, the discussion for the NL MVP. So that's just, you know, something to put on his record, the fact that he has um, such a good such good numbers. Um, his 145 WRC plus is second among NL outfielders, ranked only behind Christian Yelich. Uh, so that's also impressive. Um, he has 3.5 Fangraphs war as well as 3.5 baseball reference war. And uh, as far as Fangraphs war goes, that is fourth um, in among NL outfielders behind uh, only the likes of Yelich and Kane. Um, so he, you know, even though he doesn't get talked about a lot when it comes to the conversation among the best position players in the National League, his numbers are up there and he doesn't get a ton of respect because he's not a very well-known player. He's, he's a you know, a new player, but he, it's something to keep uh, an eye on as his career moves forward. It's something really promising. The Fangraphs wa- wrote an article the other day uh, entitled, The Mets Finally Freed Brandon Nimmo. So, you know, that tells you all you need to know. The Mets had, hadn't freed Brandon Nimmo before now. This season, a combination of seeing how good he is and injuries allowed him to really get the bulk of the playing time out there in the outfield, and he has proven that he is indeed an everyday player. Um, So that's something to pencil in for 2019, Brandon Nimmo, starting outfielder. Um, So that's all I have for you this week for the um, Degrometer and the Numometer. Looking forward to giving you guys another rendition next week, or hopefully Jacob Degrom will get a win. that does it for another installment of Amazing Avenue Audio. Thank you so much for joining us. We truly appreciate it. Go to AmazingAvenue.com where you can check out all the Mets news and goings on, both from folks on this podcast and from folks you haven't met yet on the podcast. But hopefully this offseason will actually have a lot more staff stopping by the podcast. So look forward to that. You can get this podcast, the show you're listening to right now, from blogtalkradio.com 
or from Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your podcatcher of choice. If your podcatcher of choice allows you to rate, review, and subscribe, please do so. We truly appreciate that. You can send us emails, at least for the time being, at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. New email forthcoming, I promise. And you can follow all of us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs an App. Chris is at Chris McShane. Allison is at Petite PhD. And Steve is at Steve Saipa. So, um, the Mets are currently in the West Coast. Let's hope they continue their somewhat winning ways there. And until next time, let's go Mets. Thank you.